Hello. Um, it's the first time I've ever done a seminar with quite this dynamic. Um, hopefully you can hear, but it does remind me, um, oh, 30 years ago, something like that, my wife and I were part of a church plant in, uh, back in the U- U.S. And uh, there was this, we used, it was before we got a building or anything. It was the early days, and so we actually met in a hotel, and we would show up and rent a big room in the hotel every week. And uh, one particular week we showed up and found out that they had some other big event going on. And there were two churches, not just one meeting in this hotel, which we had not realized because each one of us had had our own room. So they stuck us both in this big meeting room with some little wall dividers down the middle. The problem was the church on the other side was a black church, which had much more exciting worship than ours. And it kept, you kept wanting to sneak over the wall. So um, hopefully you won't be too distracted by the other seminar. Um, but if it starts sounding better, feel free to wander over. Um, I have plenty of time to cry later. Um, uh, using the, 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 the black church thing as a jump off to, to start from, in the United States, there's a lot of tension at the moment about racial issues, particularly on black and white lines. Um, and my brother, my, one of my older brothers, was working with a black guy and somehow in conversation racial issues came up and so my brother decided to uh, surprise the guy a little bit so he said to the black guy he said tell you what I will bet you 10 pounds that there is more African blood in my family than there is in yours so the black guy looked at him really carefully and he said okay I'll take that bet well, my brother then went on to explain that my parents had been missionaries in the uh, Central Africa, and two of his brothers were actually born in Africa. So, in theory, he won the bet. My brother didn't take the money. Um, but, and I am one of those brothers. Now, looking at me, you probably would not have guessed that I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. People are not always what we expect when we look at them. But I bet you can tell just from the listening that I'm not from around here. I have a U.S. passport, but once again, to surprise you, I've lived more than twice as long in the United Kingdom than I ever did in the United States. But regardless of what I say, because I have the U.S. passport, I am a migrant here. And we're going to be looking at kind of the refugee crisis today through the terms of thinking about a lot about migration. Um, Migration has shown up a lot recently in the news. I don't know if it shows up as much over here as it does in England. But a lot of the times it shows up, it doesn't show up in ways that puts it in good light. Because as we think about migration coming into Europe, we get headlines like Blood on Bastille Day, the horrible event that happened in Nice where the man ran the truck through the crowds killing so many people. And it's easy to look at that and go, migrants. Or the horrible situation that happened in France, where the two guys went and killed the 85-year-old priest during a church service. Easy to get scared away by that. And the response in the Daily Mail, of course, was British churches on terror alert. I don't know how much you change your churches, but there we go. But it's easy to react in fear. Or this one you won't be able to see because of the color, but massacre in Munich. There was a stage where one week, just a few weeks ago, there were four different armed attacks in one week just in Bavaria. And it leaves us quite often 
left going, well, we know God is in charge. Our Bible tells us that. Our churches tell us that. But why is this happening? Why? And I want to kind of address that issue this morning from your perspective. Um, What I mean by that is I want to primarily be addressing your reaction to what's going on with the migrant crisis, using a phrase that was thrown around a lot in the media, and with the refugees coming in. So I'm not going to be sharing a whole lot of statistics. Some of you will be disappointed. Really? Statistics? I'm not going to be sharing a lot of statistics. I can't even say them. That's why I'm not going to share them. Because first off, you won't remember them. And secondly, if you want them, they're on the internet anyway. So I'm going to talk more about your emotional reaction to what's going on with the migrant situation. And since the easiest way to react to the migrant situation being humans is fear, we're going to use the front of the, we'll call it a stage, I'm not sure, the the gap, whatever this is. We're going to use the front of the stage here as a fear monitor, okay? So this end of the stage is going to represent lots of fear. And this end is going to represent comfort or not fear, okay? Help drive that home. Quick interaction here. This is the fear end. Everybody has to look afraid. Come on, work with me. Oh, you know, some of them worked, except the lady laughing at me. Okay. Work over to this end. This is the relaxed end, so everybody look relaxed. Yeah, Charlie's going to sleep. Thank, not that relaxed. Thank you. Um, so you'll see me occasionally wandering back and forth to help us keep track of what we're doing. So like I, 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 I said at the start, I'm a migrant. But I would guess, as you look at me, you're probably not afraid of me as a migrant. If you are, please do not come up afterwards and tell me, because it will not be a blessing. Um, But I've been trying to think about why I can be as a migrant and come and speak to you, and you don't react in fear to me. And I think it's, 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 it's quite simple. The first one is, I speak English. Otherwise, you would not understand what I was saying. If I came up and said, Mote and Salimalamu, and used the language that they spoke in my parents' area in Congo, that would not help you. But because I speak English, it makes me easy to relate to. Second thing is, I'm a Christian. At least you assume that. Why? Because I have a microphone. But I am a Christian, so that's safe. But I wouldn't be speaking up here at the front if I wasn't. Um, I'm moderately well-educated. That helps. I'm good-looking. Um, and humble. Um, And when you start adding those kind of things together, a lot of those things overlap with the way you are and the way you perceive yourself. Definitely, at least, the good-looking. So it's easy for you to look at me as one person and react to me as one person who's okay. Make sense? Okay, there we go. But what about if the person you're meeting is very, very different? What if they only speak another language? Or what if they do speak English and their English sounds a bit like Yoda from Star Wars? Very nice New Horizon is. Um, So you have to work at understanding their English. Or what if their idea of, of, of what justice is, is Islamic Sharia law? It's easy to be that little bit more concerned. Or what if they have a different idea about what women's rights should be? what the man should do, what the woman should do, who should go to school. What if they are trying to not make this thing explode? What if they're very poor? 
What if they are dedicated to another religion? Each one of those things makes it easy to become increasingly concerned about these people. And what's more, what happens if rather than we're just talking about one person, if suddenly a whole lot of them show up in your community at the same time? What if rather than talking about one individual, suddenly we have that whole nasty right stage group? Everybody look at them suspiciously. Um, if, if all those were people like I've just described, it's incredibly easy to react to them as a crowd. David Cameron used the incredibly helpful phrase of a migrant swarm. Um, and it's easy to react to people like that when you see them as a group of people who it's hard to relate to. And if I'm honest, a lot of people are coming into Europe at the moment as migrants and as refugees. In 2015, there were more than one million, this is the only statistics, so you'll have, only have to hold on to this one. There was more than one million people who arrived in Europe as migrants and refugees just by sea. That is more than half of the population of all of Northern Ireland arrived last year as refugees. So that's a lot of people. And the fact that they arrived by sea, this is a little tangent comment, but it was something somebody said and I found quite helpful. Because we all struggle with that sense of these people arriving, um, you know, particularly by boat at times. And this friend of mine said, you don't put your wife and children into a boat unless they are safer there than they would have been on land. You don't put your wife and children into a boat unless they are safer there than they would have been on land. Okay, so let's, since I've talked about the fact of myself as an individual, let's talk about one of these people who we would see as a refugee who is different than ourselves as an individual. I want to tell you about a man named Vimal. Now, I'm going to try and use as much as I can his own words so that I don't twist anything. Vimal says about himself, he said, I was a refugee myself fleeing civil war in Sri Lanka as an ethnic Tamil, but I experienced the grace of God coming to know him as a savior in a refugee camp in India. Vimal now works in Freiburg, Germany, where he works with refugees from Syria, Albania, Ethiopia, Pakistan, etc., and more. So he says, Vimal says, we do whatever we can to show the love of Christ for the time we have contact with them. Also, we are mobilizing local churches to partner with us, and already some churches are reaching out to migrants in any way they can. We are also building a network of migrant ministries to support one another in this needy task, but we expect more than 100,000 refugees to pass through our area. I find that mind-boggling. 100,000 refugees probably in the next year would have been what he was referring to, planning to come through his region. Now, in his situation, um, Freiburg is kind of a center where when refugees first come into Germany, it's one of the places they send them to. And then once they're processed, they decide if they can be asylum, move from asylum seekers to people moving into asylum and things like that. They'll move them on to other places. And one of the things Vimal has shared is that they kind of have a short window of opportunity when those people first arrive. 
because when they first arrive, they don't have any friends, they don't have any support structure, they don't know how to fit into Germany. And if at that moment you step up and you welcome them and you help them, they're open to it. And even though those people will then move on to other places, Vimal, the ones who've expressed interest and who he starts having a relationship with, he can tell them, oh, you're going to such and such a place. I know somebody there who can help you. And he'll recommend another pastor there. And the relationship begins. Whereas quite often in their situation in Germany, if they wait until the people have come in and they've become established and they're comfortable, the people are much more closed. So he, in a sense, is doing that initial planting of seeds that someone else is going to harvest, but it's vital to helping that relationship continue. Now, one of the reasons I picked Vimal is because Vimal is an example of how a refugee, first off, can obviously come to Christ because he was a refugee who did, but then how he can come to Europe and help other refugees come to Jesus. And what's more, he's stepping up and challenging European Christians to step up and see this as an opportunity rather than just something that's a challenge. Because it's very easy for us to react in fear because these people are, without question, coming in and bringing change. Everyone still awake? There you go. Want to c- collect an offering? No, okay, we'll keep going. Um, let me give you a more Northern Irish example, because it's good to hear about somebody like Vimal, but it's also good to have something that feels closer to home. There's a man named Peter Crawford, who used to be uh, equivalent of me in Ireland, so ECM's Irish director. Um, he used to be involved with the mission side here of New Horizon. Am I right, Charlie, and stuff? So some of you may even know the name. But uh, P- Peter Crawford currently lives in Portugal, And um, he was at an outreach dinner focusing specifically on people from a South Asian background who had moved to Lisbon, Portugal. And uh, there was a man named Raj, who was an immigrant with a Hindu background, who was at this event. And he got up and he started to share about how he encountered Christ. And it had happened, once again, in this case in India. It's not an India presentation, just seems to show up, um, in a hospital ward in India. He'd had a incredibly, uh, well, he needed to get a, a major surgery. And then after the major surgery, he had a heart attack. So he was in very, very bad shape. And he says, using his words, um, I felt my life ebbing away. And even the doctors had disconnected the machines. I cried out in the name of Prebu Yesu, which is Lord Jesus. He gave me my life back again. Now, Peter and Anna, Anna is Peter's wife, are meeting with this man and his wife, and they're doing Bible studies, having to use a mix of English, Urdu, Punjabi, and Hindi. It's really helpful that uh, Peter and Anna, before they came and started working in Europe, had worked in Pakistan. So it's wonderful how God weaves these things together, isn't he? He puts things into your life now that you don't know you need till later which is quite scary about coming to a seminar like this, because who knows why. Anyway, um, so he's currently doing the, the, the Bible studies with them, um, and Peter says they really want to grow in their understanding of who Jesus is. Now, the reason I threw that bit in is that, to me, serves as a really good reminder that just as each migrant is an individual, usually God will take individual people to reach out to them with Jesus. It's usually an individual 
meeting an individual, which is why it's so crucial, once again, for us to not just think of them as a giant crowd. What's the theme of New Horizon? Very good. You have been paying attention. Okay. The theme of, of, of New Horizon is the Jesus way. So it would be wrong for me to not at least touch on something Jesus said, which I feel connects with this area. I'm not trying to do a Bible study. Um, I'm talking about it, a topic, but I, you need to throw some scripture in. So I was trying to think which one stood out. And the one that grabbed me was, was uh, Luke 10, 30 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 30 to 37. Oh, come on. We need to make our seminar sound better than theirs. So let's have a cheer. You ready? One, two, three. There you go. Okay. Um, in a few minutes, we'll have a big laugh. Um, so that was Luke 10, 30 to 37. And I, one of the things about being a speaker, I'll give you a couple secrets about being speakers. First off, don't do it. But uh, uh, the, uh, in, a, in a conference like this, is you don't have a clue what the other speakers are talking about. You get a piece of paper that briefs you and says, the theme is the Jesus way. Thank you. That's clear. Um, and I have no idea what Scott was going to be talking about, or as we call him after today's morning session, yo, Scott. So um, I didn't know he was going to mention the Good Samaritan. So it's brilliant that this showed up. I'll, I'll read the passage out. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, why did I pick this as relating to refugees? It was interesting. When I read back through this story not long ago, it jumped out at me the number of parallels. First off, the man's on a journey. You can't be a refugee or a migrant without going on a journey. Secondly, the man needed help, desperately needed help. And as we see many of these refugees and migrants coming into Europe today, they do need help. What was the first, one of the first things the man offers him? Well, he offers him hospitality. He finds him a place to live. And that'll be one of these things. People come into our communities, that question of hospitality comes up. How do we help them? Do we just leave local government to sort it? Or is it something we can become involved in? Um, I know a couple in Austria who uh, refugees have been coming into their town, a certain number of them, and, and, and local government has asked, is there anyone who can help find housing? So they have invited a, oh, I can't remember, he's like 18 or something like that, year old Syrian man 
to live in their basement. Now, it's not as bad as it sounds. I've stayed in their basement. It's a nice basement. It's Austria. Everything is nice. Um, And because of this, they have conversations with him all the time as he asks about what's it mean to be a Christian. He's gone to church with them. They're not shoving it down his throat, but it creates the space in which questions and issues come up because they're offering him hospitality. Coming back to the Good Samaritan story, the man who was injured required help over a period of time. The man didn't just feel pity, go over, pour some wine on him, give him a little bit of oil and wander off. He had to come and take care of the guy. He realized he didn't have enough time to take care of him, but the innkeeper would, so he arranged for the man to be taken care of over a period of time. And if we begin to engage with refugees, it's going to require a period of time if we really want to engage. And it required money. We see money change hands. If we're going to help refugees, at some stage, probably it will affect your pocketbook. Now, all of these things relate easily to the migrant situation. Now, I was trying to decide whether or not I go to the next step, and I think I probably should, which is the thing we often forget about in this story is why it was so shocking for Jesus to make the Samaritan the good guy. Because the Samaritans were the people who had messed up Jewish religion. They'd been told, don't intermarry with local people, because if you intermarry with local people, you'll pick up bad local habits. You'll end up having your religion be mixed with theirs. And what did they do generations ago? They'd intermarried with local people. They'd ended up having a religion which was a mix of different things. Therefore, they didn't do Judaism the way the Bible said they should. And that's why the Jews looked down on them. They had a common history, and the other people had messed it up. It's much easier to judge somebody who is so close to being right and then isn't. Okay? We can look that way at Muslims if we want to. Because if you look at Muslims, and you read through the Quran, they talk about Abraham. They talk about Jacob. They talk about most of the prophets who we revere and look back on to say, how should we live our lives? But if you read the stories, they're quite often tweaked, and they certainly draw different conclusions from them. So it's so easy for us to judge Muslims on the point of, you believe in Jesus, but you got it wrong, because they think he's special, but he's not the Son of God. So one of the challenges that we can draw from this story is, rather than saying, because you're wrong, we can ignore you, this story is all about, I have to help you because you're a person. If that makes sense, a bit of the challenge we heard from Yo Scott again this morning is we need to love others, even if they happen to be our enemies. So anyway, take that and decide what you want to do with it. Um, Pull back to the refugees. I mentioned they could be poor way back at the start. And in this story, you have a man who's obviously injured and in great need. One of the things I just want to mention in passing is I've heard from a lot of people working with refugees that it's so easy to look at refugees and see them as just needy people. We're seeing them at this moment in their lives, and at this moment in their lives, they are incredibly needy people. But the people I've talked to keep challenging me and saying, you've got to remember that before they became a refugee, most of them were better off and more qualified than you are. A lot of these people were doctors. They were architects. They were rich business people. They had good houses. They had happy families. 
But that isn't the situation you're in by the time you get off a rubber boat at Lesbos. But we also shouldn't look down on these people as just being the people they are at that situation. Okay. So let's come back to that question of why I ask at the start. I ask the question of why is God allowing this to happen? Maybe you're holy and this hasn't occurred to you. Certainly has occurred to me. And as I've thought about it, I'm increasingly coming to the view that this is a result. I have to be very careful how I say this. Start another direction. In recent years, there has been a lot of prayer for the Muslim world, particularly during the month of Ramadan. Uh, a number of organizations have come up with materials saying, pray for 40 days. I don't know if that's happened here in Northern Ireland. It is? Okay, so you're familiar with that. And a lot of people have fervently and with desperation prayed that God would break down the barriers that separate Muslims from himself and understanding him, and that they would give him that opportunity for them to stop being separate and be drawn to him. And now suddenly we have hundreds of thousands of Muslims flooding into Europe. And when they flood into Europe, they can meet Christians face to face, many of them for the very first time. The Christians, if they step up, can show them practical love and can talk to them without constraint. We can do things here in Europe that we could never have dreamed of doing in the countries where they came from. Again and again, I'm hearing stories, once again, as I talk to people about doing refugee work, saying that Muslims are asking the question of how come I had to flee my Muslim homeland, where the, you know, the government was Muslim, the laws were Muslim, everything was set up the way it was supposed to be, according to their view, why I had to flee there and come to what they consider Christian Europe. Let's not get into arguing about how Christian Europe is. But how come I had to flee my Muslim homeland and come to Christian Europe in order to be safe? How come when I'm in need, it's the Christians who are the ones who are loving me and welcoming me? And that's making an awful lot of Muslims ask deep questions. So whereas I cannot say deeply enough that the current refugee crisis and the situations causing it in places like Afghanistan and Syria is horrible at a human level. It is horrendous at a human level. It is also an incredible spiritual opportunity at the same time. But, but it is only an opportunity if we as Christians actually step up and do something. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of refugees coming into Europe and we're leaving the government to take care of them. But I'm hearing some incredibly exciting stories of people who are responding in practical, loving ways. A very simple one is um, I'm hearing again and again about churches who are, have had migrants come into their communities. Often, as I said before, language is an issue. They don't speak English or their English is poor. So churches offering English lessons. Very simple way to help people with something they need. How many people here speak English? Why are you here listening to me otherwise? Okay. Um, but that's the kind of thing it's not that hard to step up and help with. Another one. I loved this one. This one's out of Germany. Um, 
you probably realize that Germans are efficient. It's a little stereotypical, but as close as I can tell, they are. So one of the things that's been a challenge for the Germans when refugees arrive is they want to sort out the refugees' paperwork. They want the refugees to have everything ready. Well, here are people who, f- f- you know, fleed for their, flewed, flewed, fleed, flied. Whatever they did, they left in a hurry for their lives. Um, your papers are only so organized in that kind of a context. You then have traveled perhaps walking across the Balkans and, you know, in a rubber boat and all that stuff. Usually by the time you arrive in Germany, if you have papers, they're in a plastic bag and they're all in whatever shape they're left in. And then the German guy wants you to come up and... And that's a bit of a challenge. So I heard about a pastor in Germany who... Well, he wasn't a pastor. I mean, well, guy, Christ, full-time Christian worker in Germany who... Um, Somebody came across in this situation, and he saw the mess, and he said, oh, let me help you. And so he helped the refugee get the pieces of paper in order because he understood what the government wanted. And then he got some plastic folders to put the paper in, and then they put the plastic folders in a little cardboard folder in the order the government wanted. And then when this guy came and presented it to the government official, it was like, oh, this is great. This is perfect. So now the government is sending all the refugees to this guy to help get their papers in order. But what a wonderful opportunity and practical way to help again. That's not a giant thing. How many people here know how to file? And if so, would you like to be my PA? Thank you for raising your hand. Um, Another one I heard, once again out of Germany. Um, You can tell I was there not long ago talking to people about refugees. Um, There was a pastor who had a Syrian refugee man come to him. And the man had gone through horrendous suffering. He'd seen horrible stuff. He was basically going through trauma. And so the pastor started listening to him and said, tell me your story. And the man started talking, the refugee. And the refugee talked about his trauma and struggle for five days. He had that much pain to get out. And the pastor, this guy, whatever he was, he was full, like I say, um, listened that's what was needed and the syrian refugee is now a christian and when you ask him what was the thing that made a crucial difference he points back to that time that somebody listened for five days how many of you here know how to listen for those men who raise their hands if their wives are next to them do they okay very good most of the most of the men didn't put their hands up so they're honest Another one I heard. I love this one. I've not met this lady, but there was a lady who goes into her local mosque, which is where most of the migrants go, goes into her local mosques and knits. And while she's knitting, she talks to people. Not something I could do because I don't knit. But what is needed usually will come down to helping people at a basic, practical, simple way building relationships, it doesn't have to be that complicated and it doesn't have to be just on the beach in Greece. And I think that's a crucial thing for us to remember. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break here because I've been talking for a long time. Um, I'm not promising I will know answers, but I thought it would be good if I take a few questions and just see what happens. So if somebody has a question, raise your hand. I'll repeat it into the microphone because I've been told these things are being recorded and apparently me saying your question is more interesting than on the CD. So 
Anybody have a question? I've answered everything. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Question is, um, are there situations where, let's say you have Egyptian refugees in Germany. Um, you need someone who can reach out to them who speaks Arabic. Are they finding people who are Arabic-speaking Christians and inviting them there to work with them? Um, is roughly the question? Close enough. Okay. Go. Okay. Um, that, that, that issue of speaking the correct language is vital. Um, you can't easily reach out to people if you don't speak the language. As I say, the, there's, I'm not saying there isn't that place for doing things like teaching them English and helping people's practical love, because all those things are what opens up the heart to where you can go deeper. But when you eventually go to the stage, you're going to talk to people about the gospel in Jesus. It really helps to be able to speak clearly. So there is an issue of language. Um, and that's one of the things when I was together with a bunch of other mission leaders about a month ago, talking about what is needed to help churches across Europe be effective in reaching out to refugees. That is one of the points we were coming back to is going, perhaps one of the things we need to do is help those churches by saying, what's the big population around you? Is it Somali? Is it whatever, Egyptian, etc.? And could we find a worker who speaks that language who could go be an extension of that church or of a network of churches? It might be, you know, there's a number of churches who take this person on. Um, but they become kind of your voice into that community, if that makes sense. So that is actually something um, that we would love to see more happening. Um, one of the challenges we find is some groups like Iranians, God's doing a giant revival in Iranians. Uh, church is exploding faster there than almost anywhere. So it's quite easy to find an Iranian Christian. It's quite hard to find a good, strong, converted Pakistani man to go send to work in some other places. So um, that's a bit of our challenge is finding people who speak the right languages. But an excellent question. Um, let me give you an example which is not about language but relates. There's a lady named Rita who uh, she and her husband Vidas live in Gloucester. And they're from Lithuania. Never been to Lithuania, but I believe it's a country because I've heard it called. And uh, they came over here. Uh, she was a Christian. She was coming over to study. He was not a Christian. He was coming over to get a job, make a lot of money, and be able to go back to Lithuania rich. Well, as they were here, he became a Christian. So actually, one great example of a refugee being reached. Um, but as she was looking around Gloucester she was realizing that there was an awful lot of migrants in that area, which at that stage tended to be Eastern Europeans. So a lot of Poles, Bulgarians, whatever. So she switched her ministry to reaching out to these other migrants as one migrant reaching out to another. But she didn't start a new church because Gloucester has 90 churches, I think, something like that. So she found the churches who were willing to be welcoming to the migrants, even though they had to learn how do we welcome migrants in. We know what to do with English people. We don't know what to do with Poles. And she's become kind of the extension out, even though in this case language wasn't the issue. There was still a cultural issue of how do you welcome these people in. So very long answer to what probably was a short question. Anyone else have a question? Yes. Oh, boy. Way at the back. Nice and loud. Am I concerned about the spread of Islam in Europe? Um, I mean, you have to say yes, because Islam isn't the truth. Um, and both Islam and Christianity are missionary religions. 
neither religion will be happy until everyone in the world has had the opportunity to hear and respond, and in their case, hopefully respond. They, I think they would insist the response has to be positive or you're in trouble. Our response would be we want to give people the chance to hear and understand, but they can say no if they want to. But they're both missionary religions. So as Islam comes into Europe, it will be expansionist. It has to be. Um, so, but I'm not concerned from way over here on the fear end. But the reason I'm not concerned from way over on the fear end is not because bad things couldn't happen or whatever. It's because whatever happens, our God is so much bigger. We have to always remember that anything that's coming up against God is opposition, whether it's our hearts, whether it's problems in our community, whether it's Satan, it's still ants compared to God. So whatever Islam wants to come in and accomplish, God's bigger. And that's the thing that I hold on to. In the same way that if we were having a drought and people didn't have enough to eat, I would be really worried about it. But at the end of the day, God's the one who's going to eventually send the rain. So I am concerned, but I'm not terrified. I don't know if that helps. Okay? And the other thing is, when you're concerned about something, what's the best thing Scripture says to do? Scripture says pray. So you take the stuff you can't fix and you take it back to God. So I don't know if that helps. Okay. Let's see if there's one more. Valerie, continue to listen if I can't hear the whole way from the back. Going? Going? Oh, yes. Very good, insightful question. This woman's daughter works with New Tribes Mission. And one of the things she's saying New Tribes focuses on is not just language learning, but if you're trying to reach out in a group, you must understand their culture because um, culture and language fit together. My wife and I were with Wycliffe Bible Translators for 20 years. We had that ground into us. Um, so the question then is, if that's the case, isn't it important if a church wants to be reaching out to, a Mus to a, any kind of a migrant group to actually understand their culture as well? Excellent question. Um, my answer to that would be, in an ideal world, yes, but don't let it stop you from starting. The more you can understand, the better. But we, Satan will do anything he can to stop us from making a difference. Um, let's, but if you are serious about doing it, there are some brilliant tools that are out there. Particularly, uh, I mean, the first one I would start with, if, if the community coming in is Muslim, there's a lot of variations within the Muslim world, whether it's Sharia or Sunni and all that stuff. But to be honest, most of us don't know that much about the basics anyway. And there's some excellent tools out there, some uh, training tools, networks like the Mahaba Network. If you're really interested, come up. I'll give you a couple names at the end and some websites. Um, it's good to get an idea of that background so you don't start out by offending people right at the start. Um, but some of the culture stuff you can learn as you go along, particularly with the refugees, again, if you're helping meet their needs initially, they'll show you an awful lot of forgiveness. But if a church wants to do it strategically as a church, I would agree with you. It's great the deeper you can get into both language and culture. That's an excellent point. Okay? Remember my fear chart up here? Fear to non-fear? Let's, let's come back again to that issue about why we find migrants frightening. Um, 
In fact, I think it's time to show the other group off again. Let's have a big laugh. One, two, three. I can't wait to hear the people listening to this on the CD going, I can't believe they did that. Anyway, I wonder if the people on the CD are going to laugh along. Okay, you all be quiet. This is for the people on the CD. Laugh now. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much. Um, why do we find migrants and speakers like me frightening? Um, it's, it's because... No, before I move to the because, why, the, the reason I'm asking that question is the stuff that makes us frightened is the stuff that stops us from being welcoming. If I'm not frightened, I'll walk over here and be welcome. Well, oh, that's the welcoming side. I'll be welcoming. But if I'm frightened, I, I keep trying to get as much distance as I can from them. So why, why does this happen? Because people have foreign attitudes and foreign thoughts, they do stuff we don't understand. That's how culture works. And when you don't understand stuff, it's easier to be scared by it. So let me give you an example. One you do not understand is how come Americans have just nominated Donald Trump for president? Now, to be honest, I don't understand it either. I've lived outside my country for too long. Or the one I shared earlier, the two young Muslim guys who went and killed an 85-year-old priest during a service. Where is the... You don't understand that. So you react with fear. Or one that we had happening, um, less fear, but showing the difference in culture. Where, where I lived uh, in England, we had a lot of signs going up about 15 years ago in Polish saying, do not fish. Not in multiple languages, only in Polish, because a, a big Polish community had moved in, and they had the attitude, if, if, if there's water and fish, you can fish. That's where you find supper. And so there was a lot of tension over that. But it was because they just had different thoughts and expectations. Well, if we want people to change, there's a crucial thing we need to think about. It ties back to Yo Scott. People will always be foreign. They will always think foreign. They will always act foreign to you and to me if they are not part of God's kingdom. You can't expect somebody to show love and be full of hope and joy who doesn't know Jesus. They're part of another kingdom. And they're living their lives out according to the rules of that kingdom. And we can't expect them to live out of the rules of our kingdom. So if we want to see them act in ways that we look at, and in a sense it doesn't frighten us, a great thing we can do is bring them to Jesus. Now, you, most of you guys don't know me, so just accept I'm a nice guy. Please no one talk to my wife afterwards. Um, but if, 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 if you... The fact that I'm a nicer person now than I was when I was 17 years old is primarily because I became a member citizen of heaven at 18. That's what made the difference in my life. It's not actually a giant cultural thing like we're talking about with some of the refugees in distance, but it's the fact that until you become a member of God's kingdom, he doesn't start to work on you. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying a Syrian who knows Jesus will act like somebody from Six Mile Cross who knows Jesus. 
they'll always be different in a lot of ways. They'll sing differently. They'll probably eat food differently. They may still have ideas about, you know, what, how men and women should mix, which are different. But actually, some of that stuff's really good because it adds variety to the body of Christ. But if they become a Christian, they will now be citizens of heaven like you are. They would now be ambassadors for Christ, like you are. They will now have the Holy Spirit working powerfully in their life to change the thoughts and the attitudes and the actions that need to change, like he does in your life and like he does in mine. And that gives us an awful lot in common. When we love and serve the same Jesus, the other differences don't seem quite as great or as scary. Now, I I experience that because the ministry I'm in means I vaguely regularly find myself in church services where I do not understand what's being said, whether that's Ukraine or Serbia or Croatia or Nigeria. I find myself in a service where I can tell roughly what's going on because you can still tell when people are singing and when they're praying and when they're preaching. Um, That's particularly Nigeria, except I wasn't loud enough. Um, so I could tell what's going on, but I don't know word for word what's going on. But I can still feel spiritually at home because God's there, even though I'm painfully aware I'm not from around here when the service is going on. Okay, so let's come back to migration. Valerie and I have been up here for several days uh, having a great time. We visited the Giants Causeway and a few things like that. So as we've been walking around this area... We've been staying in Port Stewart. It doesn't actually feel to me like there are that many migrants here yet. Tourists? Everywhere. But migrants, maybe they're hidden away. I don't know. But I don't see a lot of them like I do when I visit someplace like London. On London on the tube, you could play Spot the Brit. Because it's so hard to find somebody who you know you actually are convinced would speak English as a first language. But... Based on what's happening with the rest of Europe and the number of refugees that are flooding in, they will be coming. That's my prediction for you. Was that a comment? Okay, so what my sister's saying, there's, they're already here, but at this stage they tend to be in Belfast. And the numbers you're sharing are in the hundreds. Um, once they come in their thousands, which there's no guarantee they won't, they will spread out. And if they come in large numbers and the government begins to welcome them, it could well be like Germany, where they start choosing where they go. In Germany, they they basically look at the local percentage of the population, like, okay, this village is one percentage of the German population, so one percent of the refugees goes to that village. That's how they're spreading them out. You don't know what's coming. But they are going to come in some way. So, to me, it's vital for you at this stage to be getting ready. And the best way to get ready for this is to pray. Pray that their hearts will be ready to accept, that God, in the journey he's taken them on, will have brought them to a stage that they are ready to meet you and have a relationship where they they will listen. And secondly, that you guys will be prepared to welcome them and show God's love to them. Because I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's simple, even though some of the things you can do is simple. So how about we stop for a minute, turn to a person next to you, a couple people, how you want to do it, and just pray for those two issues. Pray that as refugees, and particularly Muslims, come, they will be prepared by God, and that we will be prepared to receive them. So please turn and pray together.
Thank you for praying, and please continue to do so. Um, if, if you're the kind of person who likes praying, or even more so, struggles with praying, let me give you just one quick little prayer resource. Um, there's a online prayer tool called 111, which is uh, challenging people to help accomplish Malachi 111, which says, God speaking about himself says, my name will be great among the nations. And as I travel around Europe, I don't feel like God's name is great in a lot of the situations I see. So prayer is what's going to make the difference for Europe, and refugees and migrants is within the mix mix of that. So um, 111 is challenging people to stop at 111 p.m. during your lunch break for just two or three minutes and pray for Europe. And every day, the website 111.org addresses on there, um, will have several different things relating to Europe that you could pray for. So if you're interested in praying contemporary topical issues in Europe today, nice and simple, can do it quickly in your lunch break. Come and get one of these cards from Charlie. It will be at, oh, they're on the, oh, Charlie threw them on the seats. So you already know that's what those were. Okay. So we're wrapping up now. Uh, one last challenge. I'm going to tie this back into what Scott was talking about. Once again, I didn't know, so I love the fact this hopefully comes together. Um, this is now not about refugees and migrants. This is about you. Okay? If you guys leave here and live the Jesus way, the goal of that is to have the people in your communities actually look at you and think, wait a minute. You're not from around here. Because we want people to spot the good things in our lives that show we're citizens of heaven first and citizens here second. We want people to look at us, to look at you, and think, huh, I'd like to to visit where they're from because that must really be a great place. So if our primary citizenship is in heaven, and it is if you read scripture, We are all migrants here on earth. So the challenge I leave you with, regardless of the refugee and migrant question is, are you ready to do things the Jesus way and act like a citizen of heaven? Because this world we live in could use a whole lot more of the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you that your very son was willing to become a migrant from heaven to come down to this world that needed to understand your love so much. Thank you that he spoke a local language. He acted in a local culture. Lord, he did everything he can to make it easy for people to be drawn back to you. And Lord, thank you that you've passed that responsibility on to us, but you've not left us alone to do it. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us, your word to guide us, your church to do it together with. Lord, show us whoever you want us reaching out to, whether it's people just like us in our communities, people of our own families even, or whether it's new people coming into our communities that are so different. Lord, take away the fear that would stop us from sharing the truth of the Jesus way with them, but help us do it in ways that are practical and loving, and easy for the other people to understand and respond to. And Lord, finally, thank you that you did all that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And just to sound really good to the other groups, one big hallelujah. One, two, three. There we go. Thank you very much for coming.